church, how you guys doing today? Come on now, it's Palm Sunday. Can you believe it? Man, what a great day to be in church. What a powerful worship time and communion. We are so grateful to get to do church with you and so thankful that you're here. I want to say welcome. Can I ask everybody to do me a favor as, as people are still coming in the room, please scoot in as they need your seats and uh, need the seats near the aisles. I know that's like premium real estate, you know, in a church, right? You want to sit by the aisle. But uh, please make your way towards the middle of the sections as people are coming in. I think that's mostly settled now. And by the way, let me just tell you something. The next Sunday, Easter Sunday, it's going to be packed everywhere in this church. And so just put on some cologne. Please take a shower and come ready to sit close to people. Um, that it's going to be a great day next week, everybody. I'm pretty excited. We got a lot, we're just anticipating a huge crowd, multiple thousands more than normal. And so uh, let's be in prayer. In fact, can we just pray right now? for next Easter Sunday, for, for that to be just a powerful day of lives changed in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Lord, we just lift up our services to you next week at both locations at Austin P and also here at our Rossview campus. We thank you, Lord, that even now you'll be stirring people to come and meet Jesus, and Lord, that we would be a place that that can happen. Thank you for every church in Clarksville to be full to capacity because people are hungry for God. Lord, thank you that we'd be able to be a part of that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, well, welcome. My name is Mike Burnett. My wife, Stephanie, and I are so honored to serve here as pastors. And as we always do, we want to say welcome to all of you who are here for the first time, as well as those who are joining us online at our Austin Peay campus and also in Chandler, Arizona with the East Valley Dream Center. We're so thankful for all of you. And welcome to LifePoint Church, everybody. I do want to take a moment and thank you for being a generous church. And uh, you really are making a difference in the lives of so many people. Your kids are blessed. Ministries are happening here. You know, it's the plan of God that the people of God provide for the ministry in the house of God. And so thank you for that. I do want to let you know, whether you give online through the mail on our app, that's where most of, almost all of the giving of this church happens now digitally and through the mail. Uh, there are some that like to write a check and bring their offering and their tithe to church. And so we have boxes in our lobbies available for you to do that as well. But I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you're a generous church and your giving is doing a lot. It's making a difference, not just here, but with our partners around the world. I recently heard my wife make a statement to our team, regard, uh, we had a staff retreat this past week, and she talked about the cultural need, the language that we talk about a lot for balance. We need to find balance. We need to work life balance and family balance and fitness and fun balance and ice cream versus other food groups balance. And, and uh, she said a lot of times people are just obsessed over getting everything in balance. And it may be a, a lofty goal, but an impossible goal, right? I mean, once you get everything balanced, how many of you know teenagers mess it all up, right, everybody? Or, or something, that's right, something happens, you get in a car accident or something outside of your control always will rattle your balance. Well, Stephanie made this point, and I thought it was just worth repeating. Instead of pursuing balance, pursue healthy rhythms. Because balance may be a fleeting thing. Like, we may not be able to, to, to maintain balance. And, and by the way, to have balance, you got to be still. But, but rather... Pursue healthy rhythms. And so think about your fitness needs to be in a rhythm. I have a four-day-a-week workout routine. That's my rhythm. Or I have a, a diet that I'm following, a, a meal plan. That's a rhythm. And the same is true with finances and giving in particular. And I have this rhythm that I've taught our kids and I've taught here for years. It's kind of a three-tiered approach to a rhythm when it comes to generosity in particular. And the first, uh, it's, it's like a three-tiered rhythm of how to give. First thing you want to do is give up. And that means give to the Lord. Give we're a church that believes in tithing. We bring the first 10% of our income we give to the Lord, and we give that through our local church. And by the way, as a church, I've told you for years, we tithe corporately as well. And uh, I, I just want to encourage you as a rhythm, a discipline, a pattern, a practice, give to the Lord first. And, and tithing is not a tax. It's not a bill. It's not something you have to do. We get to come to the Lord and say, God, thank you so much 
for what you've done for me and here's a portion of what you've given to me back to you to provide for my, my church and, and for ministry. And it is an, it's an opportunity of worship. The second part of that generosity rhythm is to give in. And what that means is give to your future. It's, I'm amazed at how many people work an entire lifetime and never have saved anything. So can I ask on behalf of 70-year-old you, put a little bit aside for your future. Can all the folks that have done that say amen? amen. And all the folks that wish they did it say, yes, Lord, please help me now in the name of Jesus. Anoint me forever with that grace. God, help me. Listen, the Bible says in the, in the house of the wise, there's stuff left over, but a fool spends everything. I think as a kid, you know, like we learn to spend everything and then go ask our parents for more. In our 20s, we spend everything and realize we're responsible for more, but we spend it all anyway. By 30s and 40s, hopefully you're putting a rhythm in place that you're thinking about the future and the future you. My goal one day is to work for free for God. I want to work in a way that, that I'm not, I don't need a paycheck, but that I've planned in a way that I can always serve God at no cost to a church or any organization. Uh, so, so I want to encourage you first give to the Lord, first give, then give to your future. And by the way, for me, this, this is 10% at least, 10% at least. And then the third is give to them, give out. So learn to live on 80% or less of the income that God's provided you with. 80%, that includes your taxes. How many of you know they are so good? Our federal government just takes that bill. They don't even need your stamp or your check. They just take it for you. Come on, there's such a, it's called direct deposit. But we pay our you know, taxes, we pay bills, mortgages, all those kind of things should come here. So this is a rhythm of how to give financially. We give to the Lord first. We always put God first in everything. We give to our future. And then we give out to everyone else. And I just want to encourage you as a rhythm. We teach our kids this. We literally have jars that we've trained, taught our kids. You know, we tithe, then we save, and then we spend. And, uh, and I encourage you as you establish these rhythms in your lives, uh, let the Lord bless it and put his hand on it. And then just don't think about it. Set it like Ronco food dehydrator, right? You set it and forget it. Some of you watch too many infomercials. All right, I'm proud of you for that. Hey, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. We're going to continue our Acts series, and we're in a message today called Our World Needs Jesus. Come on, somebody. Our world needs this gospel. If you're not convinced that our world needs the gospel, just get on social media. Just turn on the news. Just watch reality TV. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Our world needs the gospel. Go to work and listen to your colleagues and coworkers and other soldiers, what they're talking about. Our world needs the gospel we believe that the gospel is the only hope of salvation and the only hope for eternal life. Now, I'm gonna tell you on the front end, I'm about to get my preach on, so I need you to get your amen on. Today is Palm Sunday, which traditionally, this is the, the day in the church calendar where we remember Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem the Sunday prior to his crucifixion. By Thursday, he's arrested, and he's, he's um, in the beginning of stages of his passion and grief after prayer. And uh, Friday would be his day of crucifixion, of course. And then Sunday, Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. Incidentally, we will have a Good Friday small service, short service for you to have at home with your family. And it, it really is a time of remembrance. Good Friday is a time of remembering the waiting for Jesus to resurrect from the dead. And we'll have communion again on Friday. I want to encourage you to have communion elements at your house ready as well. And you can join us online Friday at 7. Then it'll be available on demand if you missed that time. But Palm Sunday was the Sunday before, so he rides into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. And as they're riding in, uh, as he's riding in, his disciples following him, the people of the city have these palm branches, and they're waving them over uh, the trail of him coming into the city. And they're literally crying out, according to Luke 19, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Like they recognize Jesus 
as the king who's entering in and he's entering into the city in the name of the Lord. They're saying peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. Another gospel recognizes the language, uh, another, another gospel records the language that says, Hosanna in the highest, which Hosanna is an exclamatory word, which means save us, you are our savior. So as Jesus is, is riding in on this donkey, they're waving palm branches and they're saying, here is our savior who has come to save us and he is the blessed king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace that is in heaven and glory to God in the highest. So happy Palm Sunday, everybody. We serve a mighty king, his name is Jesus, and we still believe that he is the author and the finisher of our salvation. Can I hear an amen, everybody? So they recognize Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It was a powerful coming into the city that he would bring salvation to the world. He would bring peace from heaven to the world. And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate that salvation and peace and glory to God comes through Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus still loves people and he still wants to save people from their sin and draw them close to God? And how many of you know our world, though they may be rejecting him now, still desperately need Jesus? So as we prepare for Easter, we have to remember that our whole world needs the Lord. Our city needs the Lord. Our neighborhood needs the Lord and needs salvation. And that's what we've been talking about a lot in the book of Acts. And I wanna encourage you, listen, when I say things like our world needs Jesus, it can feel a little overwhelming for us. We think, how in the world am I gonna reach the world? You are not assigned by God to reach the whole world, but you are expected to reach out to your world. You need to reach out to your neighbors, reach out to your coworkers, start boldly sharing what God is doing in your life and what the gospel is for them. You don't have to reach everybody, but you can reach those around you. And I wanna encourage you in your workplace, in your home life. Maybe some of you need to start with your spouse and your kids and tell them about Jesus. But next week, I wanna encourage you to invite your friends and neighbors who need Jesus to come to Easter. Please don't invite Christians from other churches. I mean that, don't invite them. Hey man, you gotta check out my church, it is lit. You know what y'all say about life? Come on, everybody. I want you to invite people who don't have a church home. I want you to invite people that don't go to church regularly or that don't follow Jesus, people from other faith traditions, religions, people that are antagonistic and atheistic towards God, invite them to come with you on Easter. Statistically, 85% of non-church people would come if they were invited by a Christian. So just invite somebody. And by the way, we do need you to RSVP because it's gonna be crazy around here. Like we're, we'll be parked in fields, we'll be all over the place. So just RSVP for the service time you're coming uh, with your friends. So I want us to pick up in Acts where Paul and Barnabas are in ministry and they're working hard to preach in a city called Antioch in Pisidia. Now this is another Antioch, different than the one we see in the book of Acts chapter 11. And they come to this new town and they're immediately going to the synagogue and they just sit down to go to church, to go to the weekend service. And the uh, leaders of the synagogue call upon Paul and Barnabas and say, hey, do you guys have any encouraging words for us? And of course, Paul being a good preacher, stands up quickly and says, yes, I do. And he begins to preach the gospel to the people and they loved hearing this. Now I preached this message last week, uh, but I'm telling you, Paul is in this synagogue preaching for the first time a gospel they never heard. They're not from Jerusalem, they're in Antioch. They're, they're days away of a journey away. And they never heard that Jesus had come, he was this Messiah promised that he had died and resurrected from the dead for them. So many of them came to faith in Jesus and we ended up abruptly with this uh, statement where it talks about King David, their favorite, the favorite king of Israel. So I want us to pick up where we left off last week and, and I, I want us to look first at the power of this resurrection and why this is so centrally important. So Paul is now preaching in the synagogue, telling these, Jewish, these Jews basically, hey, what we've been waiting on for Messiah forever 
has now happened. It's come to pass. And this, his name is Jesus. And he was crucified on our behalf and raised from the dead. So then if you remember, we finished last week in verse 36. And it said, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. Man, what a challenging text that was. I mean, we were challenged last week to live our lives with purpose for the kingdom of God. Some of us are living our lives with purpose for us. We're only trying to build our brand, build our kingdom, build our nest eggs. But man, what if we would live our lives on purpose for the kingdom of God? I can't stress it enough. We wanna live in a way that pleases the Lord and makes a difference for his kingdom. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. So, so picking up the rest of that verse, that's where we stop. It says, David, after he'd served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep or he died. And then he goes on to say, he died and he was laid with his father's in other words, he was buried in the tombs of his fathers, of his, of his you know, ancestors, and he saw corruption, which means his body decayed. His body stayed in the grave. He was, his body became corrupted, disintegrated, bones into dust, etc. So that's what he's saying here. And David dies after fulfilling God's purpose. He dies buried in a tomb, and that's where he stayed. And then watch what Paul says. But he who God raised up, which is who? King Jesus. You gotta remember what he's saying. Like, King David was a great king. We love King David, David's the man, but he did. And he's still in that grave and his body decayed into nothing. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Such an interesting distinction. David lived his life on purpose for God as we should. And then he died and his body decayed in the grave. But Jesus, who also lived his life on purpose, even though he died physically, his body physically died. Look at what he says. God raised him up and his physical body did not see corruption. Jesus never stunk. His bones never became brittle. He did not corrupt and decay into a, a pile of goo. He never changed into corruptible body. His physical body raised from the dead. This is mind-blowing for this audience. By the way, it's mind-blowing for us. None of us have ever seen a human body dead for three days come back to life in a perfect form but that's the power of God. And it is the central reality of our faith that Jesus raised from the dead. This fact, listen to me, this fact about Jesus is the central event of the entire Christian faith. Otherwise, if Jesus died and stayed buried, he's just another moral leader. He's just a wonderful teacher, a rabbi, a miracle worker, a healer, and a water walker. But if he didn't raise from the dead, He's also a liar because he said he would resurrect from the dead. The central event of the Christian faith is actually not the cross. It's the empty tomb. It's that Jesus died for us, was buried, and rose from the dead. All of this is great who he was, but his resurrection is key to the reality of our Christianity and what makes believing in Jesus so incredibly unique. The power of the resurrection, listen, is when Christ raised from the dead, God defeats the power of death. Like Jesus says, you can't hold me down, death. I'm not gonna be dead forever. When he was raised from the dead, he defeated death and it proved positively that Jesus was who he said he was, particularly God in the flesh. He's not just some religious leader who died one day. Paul's making the point here, look, we love King David, but he did. But there's a new king. And his name is Jesus. And he, though he died, he is very much alive. He's God Almighty who has power over all of creation, even power over death. I, I just want you to get this. 
Because many of us stop with Christianity at the passion. We look at the cross, and, and, and maybe if you've come from a tradition with a crucifix on the wall, you've seen this visual of Jesus dying for our sins as this central idea. No, 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 he had to die in order to resurrect, but it's the resurrection, in fact, that is so central to our faith. If he didn't raise from the dead, he's a liar. If he didn't raise from the dead, he's not God. And if he didn't raise from the dead, Jesus himself is still in a box somewhere as a bag of bones. But in fact, he did raise from the dead. And because he lives, we can live. Because he's raised, we can walk in resurrection life. And listen, because Jesus raised from the dead, now he has reconciled sinful, broken humanity back to God and created the only way back to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I got an email this week, someone asking like, why are you so hard on that? Jesus is the only way, because he was. And it's one thing for him to say it, like in John 14 when he goes, I'm the only way to God, I'm the only truth, I'm the only life. It's one thing to say that. How many of you know a lot of religious leaders said that kind of stuff? But only Jesus proved it when he raised from the dead. And hundreds of eyewitnesses confirmed the resurrection of Jesus. People say, well, you know, that's just a myth and, and the disciples conjured up this story. No, 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 hundreds of people saw the resurrected Jesus and gave an account to his resurrection. When we preach uh, uh, baptism, Romans chapter six says that water baptism, if you've never been baptized in water as a Christian, you need this. It is the symbolism of this. Listen, you're not baptized, you're not saved because you're baptized, but you're baptized as a symbol of your salvation. And it's a public symbol of your salvation that says, look, when Jesus went in the grave and then rose out of the grave, he, res he, came to he was resurrected forever. And what we do in baptism is we go under the water. This is why submersion baptism is so significant because we go under the water like a, a grave. And when we come out of the water, we come out as resurrected people. And we're saying to the world, I believe so much in his resurrection. And I believe that I too can live a resurrected life, that I can walk in victory, that I can overcome sin, and that I'm not afraid of death, that I will live my life as though Christ is alive on the inside of me. If Jesus didn't resurrect, we're pathetic for following him. You guys understand that the apostle Paul said, if there's no resurrection from the dead, pity on you for believing in him but he did, in fact. And that's what, that's what Paul, am I preaching, am I shouting? I feel like I'm yelling. Look what he says, y'all love King David, but King Jesus is actually the one who raised from the dead for you. He whom God raised up did not see corruption. And if death couldn't stop God, what can stop God? The answer for that is nothing. If death didn't stop God from raising Jesus from the dead, what could stop him from resurrecting things in your own life? Just be encouraged. We serve a God of resurrection. What could stop him from resurrecting your marriage back to life or, or performing that miracle you're believing for or the healing that you need or God's provision in your life? We serve a God of resurrection. And he specializes in bringing dead things back to life, lost things to being found, blind eyes to being opened. What have you looked at in your life and said, that's too far gone. God can't do anything. No, God is a resurrecting God. I don't know about you, but I'm like thinking about Paul preaching in the synagogue and I'm fired up. I feel like we need an organ and an amen crowd in the synagogue. He goes on to say this, look, verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, my brothers. In other words, after everything I've just said, be, let it be known to you that through this man, Jesus, not David, watch what he does in saying this brilliant preaching, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins, our world needs this. Do you know why our world continues to perpetuate darkness and sin? Because they don't know they can be set free from it. That's 
Because they don't know they don't have to live that way. There are so many people that think I was raised this way, I was nurtured this way, I was born this way, it's just my lot in life. No, you can be forgiven from bondage and addiction and oppressive lifestyles. He said that through Jesus comes forgiveness of sins and by him, here's the invite, everyone who believes is free from everything from which you could never be freed by the laws of Moses. This is brilliant. He's in a synagogue teaching Jews that Moses won't save them, David won't save them, only Jesus will save you and set your butt free. Like we think rules give freedom. No, rules give boundaries, rules give guidance, but Jesus gives freedom. He would say later in Luke's gospel that whom the Son has set free is free indeed because he raised from the dead. Forgiveness of sin is now available and we can live in the freedom to live for God. Listen, we think freedom is, is, is living under rules correctly. No, freedom is living under Christ. It's living unto the Lord, free from sin. I don't have to walk around in bondage and fear of death or dying in my sin any longer because I'm free in Jesus. The power of the resurrection is that first of all, it proves Jesus is fully God. Only God can raise from the dead. Second, it proves that he's the only provision for forgiveness of sins. And third, the resurrection frees us to live a life devoted to God. I love this. He's writing, he's teaching these Jews, like, you guys have depended on Moses' law. You've depended on David as a conqueror building a nation. You ain't saved in this nation, and you're not saved with these laws. You're saved and forgiven in Jesus because he resurrected. Listen, without his resurrection, we have no access to God. We have no relationship with God. And the reality is we're still bound in sin without forgiveness if he didn't raise from the dead. But hallelujah, he's so good. God raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know, I feel like I'm preaching my Easter sermon right now. I don't know about you, but I wanna be forgiven and I wanna walk in freedom. Jesus said, follow me, my burden is light. The life of the Christian should be a light load. You know what I'm saying? Because we're following Jesus who set us free and changes our lives and makes us new. Then he quotes the Old Testament. I love this. He's such a good preacher. I feel like Paul should start a preaching school. But he's dead. <laughs> Beware, he says. Now, this is great. He's doing all this gut-wrenching preaching. And then he gives a warning. He says, beware. Let, therefore, lest, lest, which is a word we don't use much anymore, but it means like for fear or, or in case that, for fear that, that what's said in the prophets should come about. And he's quoting Habakkuk chapter one here. Here's what this quote, he pulls this quote out. You ever talk to somebody and they just pull verses out all randomly? Paul's doing this here. He goes, beware for fear that what the prophet said about would be true of you. And here's what the prophet says. Look, you scoffers. Y'all should be biblical and greet your kids this way this week. You know what I'm saying? Look here, you scoffers. Be astounded and yet perish. For God says, I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if someone tells you about it. Man, can I just warn us as a church too, that we never overlook the power of God to change a life, that we never overlook our command and commission to tell the gospel. Can I warn us as a church to not be like these scoffers who, who uh, are astounded by what we're hearing but yet we do nothing with it. No, notice the warning, and you'll perish. He says, God says, I'm doing a work in your days. Life point, listen to me. God is still doing 
a work in our days. But let us never not believe God still wants us to be a part of it or not believe that God doesn't need us to tell the gospel. Let us never believe that God's not still changing lives. He says, don't ever let the power of God become normal and casual. Don't miss out on what Jesus is doing to transform lives and change people. Look for God opportunities. Look for moments to share the gospel. Beware, lest you live out what the prophets have told us, you scoffers, you astonished, perishing people. God is doing a new work in 2022. This world is not going to hell in a handbasket because we serve a resurrected God who's still powerful enough to change this broken world. Come on, be encouraged, everybody. I'm so tired of people all just down on the world all the time. Oh, this world's just falling apart. This world's crazy, going to hell in a handbasket. No, God looks at the world and says, hey, church, get to work for God's sake. For my sake. Here's what I see in this text, though. This is what I love. Like, this is what will surprise you when you tell your friends about Jesus. This is what will surprise you. People are actually hungry for truth. You gotta understand, listen, you know why people chase crazy all the time and weird lifestyles and beliefs and practices? Because they're hungry for truth, something to get their teeth into, something to bite into that will bring them actual sustenance and nourishment. But they don't know the real truth because we're not telling it to them. And so our world is chasing all these crazy things and thought processes and ways of life, simply revealing the deep reality that humans are hungry for truth. And so if we can't hear the truth, we'll go make up our own truth. And that's what's happening right now. And we've given into this notion, you live your own truth. Your truth is your truth. No, the truth is the truth. I can't fix math. I can't change truth. <sighs> yeah, I feel like I'm really out preaching myself here right now. <laughs> I love the world that God has chosen to let us live in, in the time that, like, it's not a mistake that God said you would be a part of my church during this season. And I want you to be fired up for the fact, like, don't, be, don't hate our world, have compassion for our world, and share the gospel with our world, because they are desperate for real truth. It's like, have you ever been to, like, a, 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 have you ever been over for a meal or something, all they have out is snacks and cookies and junk food? It's like, that'll satisfy you for a little while, but after a while, you get, like, heartburn, and you get all gross, and your pants get tight. Like, what you really need is greens and lean meat. Come on, crawfish. Amen, everybody. So, like, you need sustenance food. You can't just live your whole life on counterfeit sugar bombs. And that's the world we're living in. They're hungry for truth, and they're just eating counterfeit all the time. So watch what happens. Paul's preaching the gospel. Jesus, it ain't David, it ain't Moses, it's Jesus. And then as they went out, now the service is over. They've dismissed, the band's playing, the prayer team's up front. And they're leaving, and the people beg them to come back and preach next Sabbath. Uh, let me just tell you, as a pastor, a preacher... That ain't ever happened to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is amazing. They are begging, please come back next week and teach us more. Please, we've heard what you're saying. This is amazing material. The gospel's come to this town for the first time, and, and they are begging them, please come back. Can you imagine being the rabbi of the synagogue? Like, hey, what about me? <laughs> Do you mind unlock the building for these guys? Like, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Anyway, the first thing is, as a preacher, it's like humbling. Second, as a Christian, I got to ask you this question. Are you and I living our lives in such a way that we're creating a hunger in other people? Like, like does our posting and, and our going to school and going to work, does, does how we love God in front of our children create a desperation in them to know the God we say we serve? Or is it, you know, like we're passionate for our rules and our judgments? <laughs> 
Or are we passionate for Jesus and our love for God? What would it look like if we as the church could live so passionately for Christ, so faithful to his word and lordship, that people were hungry to follow our God? The truth is, as Christians, we believe that we have the absolute truth claim of God. For people to find and have salvation, no other faith system teaches what Christianity teaches about, about salvation and eternal life. The Christian message is that God died for us and that he welcomes us to him and that it's a free gift of God's grace. I mean, this is beautiful. Are you kidding me? And that we receive it by faith. We don't receive it by rules and laws. Every other religion teaches God is somehow mad at you and you gotta prove your way to him. Christianity teaches God desperately loves you and has made his way to you. Every other religion says, work your way to God. Here's the rules, here's the behaviors, here's the activities. And a lot of those things are good, like don't murder, don't steal, whatever. Do all these activities. But Christianity says, you'll never do enough right activities. Just put your faith in Jesus, the resurrected God of the universe, and his spirit will come and live on the inside of you, and he will manage your heart and change your life. That is such a beautiful story and a beautiful gospel. And the Christians, you know, like the church in America in particular, I'll just, I'll just pick on us for a second. We have a branding problem with Christianity. We've been known more for who and what we're against. And we've married up to the political structures. And how about we just get back to resurrected Jesus? He's alive on the inside of me. I'm not gonna stress about what stresses you out because I serve the risen king. And you can know him too by faith. Put your faith in the, in the Lord of heaven. Are we living our lives in a way that stirs a hunger in people? to know the God we say we serve. I think we have the most amazing message on the planet. I mean, I watch movies and shows and I've seen news reels and I watch the Oscars. (laughs) And all these things have stories to tell. But we have the best story ever told. We have the best message ever told. What if we would live with real passion and true conviction and consistent integrity before God? I just believe people would reveal their hunger to him and come to Jesus. Can I hear an amen, somebody? After this, look, this is great. After a meeting of the synagogue broke up, so now church is over, many of the devout, many of the Jews, because they're in the synagogue, right? Like they're all Jewish people. Many of the Jews and the converts to Judaism. So so this this synagogue is in a pagan community, right? Antioch and Pisidia, there's all kinds of pagan temples and whatever. And so many people have converted to Judaism. So many of the Jews and the converts to Judaism now are following Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, Paul and Barnabas are urging them, continue in the grace of God. Don't do this by rules. Don't do this by your own efforts. Now walk in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, one week later, almost the whole city showed up and gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, man, we live in a time in history when the truth of Christianity is so under attack and people look for reasons to reject Christ and and reject the gospel. But I believe the church has an amazing opportunity to live in such a way that stirs a hunger in people and look at the reaction of the crowd. If we would preach it right and live it right and live it authentically, man, the whole city gathered to hear the word. I don't know about you, but this is the language of revival. Revival is not a Tuesday through Friday camp meeting of a bunch of Christians with some Southern gospel singers. Revival is when the city shows up and says, I can't wait to hear that gospel. This is incredible. 
A whole city coming out to hear the gospel. Are you kidding me? Like we're already, we're stressing out about filling the room, filling up pockets and rooms and people gonna be sitting on stairs and sitting on stages and in other classrooms and Christians will complain about it. I don't care. We wanna see the whole city come to faith in Jesus. We will make room. We'll come on Saturday. We'll give up our seat to make room for the city to come to Jesus because they're hungry for God and they need God. And we only have the truth of the gospel. Man, if you get here late and you get bumped and you're parking across the street and you gotta sit in the lobby, deal with it. We're making room for the city to come and hear about Jesus. I pray that every church in this city would be full to overflowing. Because I believe in the church has the incredible opportunity to see revival. Listen, they were, oh man, I'm fired up. I'm sweating. <laughs> Part of it's, chubby part of it, his jacket. Our world is so desperate for God. And we're shaking our head at the world going, how could they? I feel like God's shaking his head at the church going, where are you? Where are you, church? Live with passion, live with conviction. This isn't, you have to, we get to do this. We get to live our lives in a way stirs the hunger. I want people to see you when you come and go, oh my goodness, man, I can't wait till you're back. Can you believe a whole city showing up to church here next week at all the churches in our city? Because we were so boldly preaching the resurrection power to live life. Hey, well, let me just encourage you this too, because haters gonna hate. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Anybody dealt with haters of the gospel before? I've had family members hate on it. Not everybody lives by that Bible, Mike. I always go, yep, that's job security for me. Thank you very much. I've had family members reject me, don't talk to me anymore. I've had friends, neighbors that, you know, awkwardly, you know, look different ways. Haters gonna hate. Shake it off. Y'all gonna see the prophetic word of Taylor Swift come out in just a minute. Watch this. Y'all gonna be blessed by this one today. Watch this. So, so like people are converting, the church is going nuts. They're begging Paul and Barnabas, come back next week, please come back next week. And then the next week, the whole city shows up. But when the Jews, the leaders saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Man, I'm just gonna tell you, jealousy is gross. Jealousy will always tempt you to reject a good thing. You ever see somebody else get a blessing and you get jealous? Somebody gets a, a, a they, they finally get married and they have a beautiful wedding and you can't help but see it and go, well, I didn't have that kind of wedding. I didn't have that nice of a wedding. Her husband looks better than my husband. You know, like you just get jealous. <laughs> or hey, somebody gets a promotion ahead of you and you can't celebrate it with them because you're jealous. Somebody gets an opportunity ahead of you or your neighbors get blessed. They win the lottery and they played your address as the number. <laughs> Just get jealous. Jealousy will always tempt us to reject a good thing. Look what it says. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. So now they start contradicting Paul. That's not true what he says. David's our king. Moses is our rules. We don't know about this Jesus fellow. They're contradicting him and they're reviling him. Blah, blah, revile. I don't even know how to do that. You know, they're reviling him. They hate on him. And Paul and Barnabas speak out to it. I love it. Now they didn't pick a fight. But they were bold. Watch what they said. Hey, 
It was necessary, this is Paul and Barnabas talking to the Jewish leaders. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. This is God's will. Actually, Jesus said, I'm gonna, this is for my house first. But they're gonna reject it. Paul goes, it was necessary the gospel came to you first. But since you thrust it aside and you dredged yourself unworthy of eternal life. In other words, Paul's going, hey, you guys don't believe it and you've decided you don't wanna go to heaven. Behold, we're gonna turn to the Gentiles. <laughs> and look what it says. All the Gentiles are like, yeah, <laughs> they get so excited, like, take that, Jews, you know, like, get on, get some. So, listen, you would think that such a positive response to the gospel in this town and the Jewish leaders, they, they would be excited. We've been praying for Messiah and miracles and revival and revival hits, and rather than celebrate, they chose jealousy, and they chose reviling. It's easier to pick apart something you just refuse to follow. It was a desire to keep power, jealousy against what God was doing through them because they didn't want to lose their established religion. Paul didn't allow it to stop them because haters going to hate, but the gospel moves forward. It's like having an angry kid at a birthday party. I didn't get that present. Man, that's, I didn't get a pony at my birthday party. Ah. That's when you look at that kid and you go, I'm sorry you're mad. Go sit in the corner and pitch a fit because we're having cake. Get out of my face. Like, you can pitch a fit all you want, but we're not going to stop promoting the gospel and the church and the, the message of Jesus. There are whole groups of people today who want to shut down Christianity, who hate Christianity, who hate the church, who hate our values, who hate our morals, and they hate the gospel. And there are people who want to stop Christians from preaching and sharing the scripture, and they want to close churches or eviscerate the, the moral center of churches, and they want to shut down the gospel. But I just want you to see how well that's working in places like Iran, China, Northern India, Russia, and Iraq, where the church is literally politically squashed, they are the fastest growing, most explosive growing churches in the world right now. Haters don't stop the gospel. Listen, you and I should never pull back from sharing the gospel. Now don't be rude, don't throw Jesus down their throat, you know what I'm saying? Don't be rude from, to people, but keep believing that Jesus in Christ with serious conviction and never pull back. Look at what it says. For so the Lord commanded us. Paul says, you guys have rejected. You've decided. You don't want to go to heaven. And that's how I feel like sometimes we just got to let, let, like, let people just decide. Hey, you don't have to live this out. But I'm not going to start telling other people because you're mad about it. He goes, look, for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you. This is Paul saying, God told me, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that I may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they started rejoicing and glorifying God. You know what that said to the Gentiles? Like the Jewish people treated Gentiles. These were non-Jews. They were such outsiders. They were scorned. They were picked. Like the whole story of the Good Samaritan is how to mistreat Gentiles. Like if, some, if you see a Gentile on the side of the road, dead, bleeding out, just walk past them because they don't matter to you. And the Gentiles are hearing this going, we matter to God? We matter to God? And they're, they're, they're like filled with joy and they're passionate and excited. When the Gentiles heard this, they started rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed in Jesus. Even in fighting haters, people got saved. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I love this. Jewish people unfortunately rejecting the gospel that they should have been rejoicing over for centuries and waiting on. But it doesn't slow God's heart down at all. Let me tell you something. Don't ever get discouraged when people don't accept the gospel. That's God's problem. But don't stop either. God immediately reminds them of a promise from Isaiah 49 that he would also love the outsider, the Gentile, the non-Jewish person. Praise God. We want to be a church where unchurched people can come and know the Lord. We want to be a group of Christians. Listen to me. 
not just on Sundays at Rossview Road or Austin P. I'm talking about as Christians, we wanna be a people known for loving people who don't love our God. We wanna be a people known who are nice and kind and generous and benevolent towards people who don't belong to God because we want to stir a hunger in them for the God who is hungry for them. We wanna be a church that seeks to preach the gospel to all people. So then the Jews are mad, they're jealous, they're bad-mouthing Paul. And then next it says, but the Jews incited the devout men, women of high standing and the leading men of the city. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and against Barnabas and they drove them out of the city. So watch this. So Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet. Shake it off, shake it off. I told you, the prophetess, Taylor Swift. Haters gonna hate, hey, 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 hey. Shake it off. That's great. They literally shook the dust off their feet. Could you imagine pulling your sandals off and just going, like clapping sand off your flip-flops and just shaking the dust off, looking those guys in the face and going, hey, we're moving on to the next town. You don't stop what God's doing through us. Shook the dust off and went on to Iconium and the disciples filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. They had this attitude, I can't believe we get to do this. And Paul and Barnabas for the first time, you gotta remember Paul's story. He was the persecutor before. And this is really the first time that Pastor Paul has received persecution and he's on the receiving end of what he was given out before as a persecutor, as a hater. And some of you, that's been your story. You didn't follow Jesus for a long time. You picked on Christians. You weren't a person following the Lord, but now you've come to know Jesus. And there will be people that reject you. Rejoice in that. There will be people that don't agree with you. Take comfort in that and know that you're in good company with Jesus Christ himself. Shake the dust off your feet and move on to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Jesus actually taught that in Luke 9. It was a customary thing. He said, if people reject you, take the dust, take the sandals you're wearing, shake the dust off and move on to the next city. Here's the meaning of that. Don't get stuck where you're not wanted and where you're not being fruitful. Don't pick a fight, just pick a new city. Our world desperately needs the gospel. And a few haters don't get to slow us down for living for Jesus. I wanna challenge us as a church. Listen, we're on a, we're a week out from Easter Sunday. But I do believe that we're living in some crazy times. Recently, some philosophers and other theologians have come out saying that we are living in the worst days of human history where we've reached a point that we may never come back from. Let me just encourage you with something. The Bible said this would happen. So we must share and double down on sharing the message. Can you imagine doing a deal at the car lot or at the bank or in your hospital and working a deal in there and saying, hey, while I got you here, how can I pray for you? because I believe Jesus still heals marriages and fixes families and transforms hearts. How can I serve you today? Would you, do you have a church home? Would you like to come and be a part of my small group? Like we still serve a God. Quit worrying about separation of church and state. We need to worry about those people being separated from God forever. And we need to tell them about the Lord. Will we be a church who keeps talking about Jesus? Will we be a people who keeps sharing the truth of the gospel and the power of God to change lives? Will we follow the commands of Jesus to share this gospel so passionately? And even if we get major resistance, rejoice, keep going, shake the dust off and keep talking about Jesus. Can we trust in the power of a resurrected God that he's with us, that we can trust him, that God will help us live for him and tell others about him. Listen, we serve a mighty, powerful, resurrected Savior. 
Let's share him with this world because our world desperately needs the gospel. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, for what you did through the Apostle Paul. We thank you, God, for what you did through these other disciples. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing through us. God, I pray that the passion that was stirred in Paul and Barnabas would be a passion stirred in us, that, God, we would desire more than anything to see your gospel go forth in our city and around our world. Can you just open your hands to the Lord, everybody? Come on, just pray a simple prayer with me and mean it from the bottom of your heart. This is a posture of surrender, a posture of acceptance to the Lord. I I just wanna ask you to pray this with me. Say, God, I've heard the word today. Say, I believe what I heard and I receive the word of God in my life. Say, God, let it speak to me. Let it transform me. Let it change me from this day forward. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sin, that he raised from the dead. And I believe that I can live a resurrection life to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Now pray this and mean it. Say, God, come on, say, God, I'm all in. I'm all yours forever. Use me to help build your kingdom in Jesus' name. To God be the glory. Come on, let's celebrate what God is doing in our church. Amen. Amen.